0: Now, in this ayah, especially what is being mentioned is, what is being elaborated is, the multiple marriages of the Prophet ﷺ. Right? And the main reason behind his multiple marriages is what? The fact that Allah is lightening the burden from him, what does it show? He didn't choose this. Allah decided this for him. Right? So, the reason behind his multiple marriages was what? Allah's command simple and we see this if we just look at the life of the prophet sallallahu it's quite evident the prophet sallallahu who was his first wife Khadija radhiyallahu anha right who was older than him who was widowed twice all right and Khadija radhiyallahu anha was his only wife until Khadija radhiyallahu anha passed away all right and at that time the prophet sallallahu was around 50 years old and when Khadija رضي الله عنها Passed away The Prophet sallallahu الله عليه وسلم Was not found smiling For a very long time And he had children And Fatima رضي الله عنها, She became The mother of her father This is how she was described Why? Because she used to look after The Prophet sallallahu الله عليه وسلم. She used to look after the family Alright And Fatima رضي الله عنها Was still a girl Alright So what happened it was suggested to the Prophet ﷺ that he should marry who? Sauda رضي الله عنها. And Sauda رضي الله عنها, who was she? She was also an elderly woman. She was also widowed. Alright. And the Prophet ﷺ married her. This is at what point? When he's 50 years old. Okay. Why did he marry Sauda رضي الله عنها? Because he needed a companion. Somebody else is telling her, you need to get married. You have a family. You have a great responsibility. And they suggested, سَوْدَى رَضُ If the Prophet ﷺ really wanted a lot of women, didn't the Mushrikeen offer the Prophet ﷺ, you want women? We'll get you married to any woman that you want. You just stop conveying this message. Don't we learn about this in the seerah? Didn't they offer him money? Didn't they offer him status? They offered him women also. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't take that offer. Because he wasn't that kind of a man. He didn't need it. He was content with Khadija رضي Anha as his wife. He was happily married to her. After her death, then he married Sauda. Why? Because he needed a wife. And other people were telling him to marry. And there's no harm. It's nothing wrong for a man to get married to a woman. It's Marriage is not wrong. I mean, this is part of life. Isn't it? Isn't marriage part of life? You know, just the other day in the news, I read Rupert Murdoch. What's his name? Yeah, Rupert Murdoch. How old is he? He is 84 years old. And he just announced his engagement. He just announced that he's gotten engaged to some woman who's much younger than him. Okay? Why? Now you might say, is this an age really to get married at? Well, for him, he wants that marriage. You understand? This is part of life. Marriage is a part of life. So the Prophet ﷺ got married because marriage is a part of life. It's nothing strange. You understand? Okay. Then we see the Prophet ﷺ he got married to Aisha ﷺ. All right. And in that is also a wisdom. His relationship with Abu Bakr anhu that was strengthened. Inshallah, we'll discuss the marriage of Aisha ﷺ. Okay. Then we see the Prophet ﷺ he migrated to Medina. Who's in his marriage now at this point? Two women only. Who? Sauda and Aisha ﷺ. And in fact, the marriage with Aisha radiallahu was consummated in Medina. Alright? So sometime after he migrated to Medina. Now, what happened? One battle after the other. Many Muslims passed away. Alright? Amongst them was who? The husband of Hafsa radiallahu Anha. Who was Hafsa radiallahu The daughter of Umar. And Umar radiallahu anhu wanted his daughter Hafsa to get married again after her idda. Didn't he approach Abu Bakr? He approached Uthman. He approached Ali Radluu anhu and hafsa Radluu anha got married to who? The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So in this was double benefit. Okay. One benefit was the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's relationship with Umar Radluu anhu would be strengthened. And then secondly, hafsa Radluu anha who was a widow now she has a husband. And which husband? Out of all people, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. All right. Then we see the Prophet ﷺ married Zainab bint Khuzayma She was also a widow He married Umm Salama She was also a widow So at this point now The Prophet ﷺ had four wives Because Zainab bint Khuzaimah She actually passed away a couple months after She got married to the Prophet ﷺ So four women were in his marriage Who? Sauda, Aisha, Hafsa, Umm Salama okay? And the Prophet ﷺ himself did not marry anybody. What happened? His marriage to Zainab رضي Anha took place. Zainab bint Jahsh, who was a divorced woman. Alright? And who made that marriage happen? Allah the Exalted. Now you see why this was more of an issue? Because, firstly, she was the divorced wife of who? Of who? His adopted son that was going to be a big problem for the people and secondly zainab radiyallahu anha would be the fifth wife of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam how many wives were allowed four so now it's a completely different thing for the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so zainab bin jahsh radiyallahu anha she was a fifth wife at the time and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it clear in this ayah that all of these restrictions are lifted from you including the four this is exclusively for you. The Prophet ﷺ did not marry for the fulfillment of desire. Who is it that has ordered the Prophet ﷺ to marry this fifth wife? Or has made this marriage happen? Allah be exalted. And you see this ayah, إِنَّا أَحْلَلْنَا laka azwajak. We have made this lawful for you. Allah has made this lawful for you. Allah has made this exception for you, then who may dare question Allah's decision and object Allah's decision? Because when Allah has made something lawful for His messenger, then even the messenger cannot make it unlawful for himself. Because remember, the time when the Prophet wasallam made honey unlawful for himself, just to please his wives, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, what? that ma lak how can you make unlawful for yourself what allah has made lawful for you you don't have that choice and the marriage to zainab radhiyallahu anha the prophet sallallahu alaihi had no choice over there zawwajnakaha so over here also it's emphasized inna lak we have made this lawful for you so if you have a problem with this then you have a problem with who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah can command what He wants and He can prohibit what He wants and He can make an exception for whomever that He wants. Because Yusalu Amma عَمَّا wa وَهُمْ yus'alun He is not questioned about what He does, but they will be questioned. The servants are questioned. The master is not questioned. And we see that some commandments, some matters were exclusive to who? To the Prophet Given his status, given his position, given his role. Like for example, the Tahajjud. It was mandatory on him. Is it mandatory on the rest of the ummah? No. Likewise, you see that the Prophet ﷺ, he would fast the fasting of Wisal, which is continuous fasting. Continuous fasting. Alright? Without a break in the middle. This is not allowed for the ummah. But the Prophet ﷺ did that. Right? The ummah allowed to take sadaqah. But the Prophet ﷺ, and this extended to his family, not allowed to accept sadaqah. Correct? For every single man, it's wajib on him to spend on his wife. But the Prophet ﷺ, it was not wajib on him. Right? So given his role, you understand? Given his role, given the work, the task that he was entrusted with, that he was charged with, because of that reason, there were certain laws that were exclusively for him. Part of that was extra worship, and part of that was these extra marriages also. Did he have a choice concerning them? No, he didn't. Because he was who? The abd, the servant of Allah, the exalted. Then we see that the Prophet ﷺ also married after this, who? Juairiya Safiyya Safiya anha, And then Um Habiba, as well as Maymunah radhiyallahu anha. So the Prophet sallallahu had how many wives? Nine wives when he passed away. All right. Now the question about the marriage of the Prophet sallallahu to Aisha radhiyallahu anha. How do we understand that? How old was she when she got married to him? Some narrations say that she was six. Other narrations say that she was nine. All right. Some people say she was eighteen. Right, or some people say that she was older, but the more solid narrations they show that she was nine or twelve maximum. Okay? Whatever the age was, okay, whatever the biological age was, I have a question for you. When you hear the stories of Aisha r.a., the questions that she asked the Prophet, وسلم, the kind of actions that she did, okay. Like for example, you know, the way she prayed, for instance, right? That at one occasion we learned that somebody came to see her, she was praying, and she was crying, and they went back and after some time they came, and Aisha Delaware Anha was still praying, still reciting the same ayah, crying. All of these stories that we learn about Aisha anha does she look like a child? Hmm? No, she doesn't. When you read about her, you're reading about who? A woman who is very feisty, for sure. Amazing woman. But at the same time, a woman who was a young woman, who was an adult. Right? The thing is that when we want to understand the marriages of the Prophet wasallam, we have to take anthropology into consideration. We have to take the society of that time into consideration. We cannot think of the marriages of the Prophet ﷺ in our context. Alright? First thing remember, in that society, multiple marriages were a norm. In fact, before Islam, there was no restriction. A man could have 30 wives if he wanted. Okay? Consent was not even an issue. And there were many abuses that we have learned about earlier in the Qur'an. So... With Islam, what happened? Restrictions were placed. Limits were set. Hudud were set. Correct? So, it was a norm to have multiple wives. And especially for a leader, for example, a tribal leader, it was a norm to have multiple wives. You see, the enemies of the Prophet ﷺ, the worst enemies were those that lived in his time. The worst enemies of the Prophet are not those that are living today. They were those who lived in his time. But not once did they attack him for his marriages. Not even once. Why? Because this was not a problem. It was something normal. It wasn't strange. For us, it is strange. Alright? You know, for example, here, if we learn about you know for example a family in which it's a polygamous marriage for example right a man two wives we're like oh, interesting right we have some kind of reaction you go to some other society okay like for example some middle east a country over there multiple marriages what it's a norm isn't it I remember a friend of mine her husband was working in somewhere in the middle east and people were always offering him. Would you like to marry my daughter? And he's like, I'm married. How many? Enough. <laughs> right?" because he would say, I have one wife, I'm fine, I'm happily married, thank you very much. But for people, it was very strange. You have only one wife? And this is not 1900s, this is 2010s, okay? Uh, 2010s. So anyway, this is something that's normal in many societies. I mean, Forget about Africa, Asia, North America. Aren't there certain places, certain cultures in which there are polygamous marriages? All you need to do is just turn the TV on. You know what I'm talking about, right? Reality TV shows? What are those shows? Sister wives. Forget about what happens in that, if they're happily married or not. The fact that such a marriage exists. And when you see all those smiles on those people's faces, you know, as awkward as you feel, it's normal for them. Isn't it? So what is normal for you is not normal for me. Because norms change. Norms vary. You understand? But if you're happy with your norms good for you and if I'm happy with my norms good for me you don't need to rescue me because I'm happy you understand if I'm being abused if there's a problem then yes please come and rescue me but if I'm happy you don't need to rescue me it's like you know when people think that a Muslim woman because of her hijab she's oppressed right what do you say I'm fine you don't need to rescue me Right? I put this on willingly. In fact, I put this on against the wish of the men in my family. For example. Right? So likewise, some people think that the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, perhaps they were oppressed women. Right? They were forced into these marriages. You know, if Aisha رضي الله عنها, as a young woman, if she was happy with her marriage, we don't need to go and rescue her. In fact, Allah gave her the option... You don't want this marriage. You want the dunya and its zina. Go ahead. You have the option. The Prophet ﷺ said, "Consult your parents." What did she say? Why do I need to consult my parents? I'm happy with this marriage. She chose it, didn't she? So we have to remember the context, all right? The society, the time in which the Prophet ﷺ lived. At that time, it was perfectly normal. Alright? To have multiple marriages. And to also marry young. This was also normal, to marry young. Huge age difference between husband and wife, this was also something normal. Alright? This was a norm. And in these days, it might not be a norm, but it might exist. You know like, I just gave you the example of that man. He's in his 80s. He's getting engaged to a woman who's 20 plus years younger than him or something. Right? You hear stories of people who are very old and their wives are very young, right? This is not an attempt to ridicule or to blame. This is just to make it clear that this is something that happens even today, right? You know, for instance, this female the singer, Canadian singer Celine Dion, her husband also passed away recently. Such a huge age difference between the two of them, right. So the fact that huge age difference can exist between man and wife, even today, then yes, it could exist at that time also. Right? Another thing we need to keep in mind is that the 9-year-olds of today, the 12-year-olds of today were not 9-year-olds of that time. There's a huge difference. Alright? In fact you could go from one society to the other and you'll see a huge difference between children of the same age. Why? Because life is different. Context is different. Remember I told you the story of that, you know, when I was in Pakistan, I went to this particular bazaar and I saw little children. I remember a four-year, you know, a child that looked like age four, literally, if not younger. He was running around with a wheelbarrow. It was extremely cold. No shoes or maybe slippers you know, not covered properly, running around with the wheelbarrow, looking for work. Can this happen here? No way. You tell your child to hold a wheelbarrow, he would say, how? <laughs> What's this thing? It's too heavy for me. Right? What happens to our children? Their backpacks are too heavy for them. So mom, hold everything for me. Right? So the nine-year-olds of that time were very, very different. Because life was different at that time. People matured earlier. Physically matured earlier. And in fact, even today, if you think about it, children as young as 10, 12, they can be sexually active. I'm not saying that that is good, that we need to make this common. I'm just saying this is physically possible. And if you were to leave it to those children, and if you ask them if they have a problem with it, they don't have a problem with it. In fact, they're very happy. This is why it's necessary that we have to educate our children in our societies about these things earlier and earlier. Isn't it? So the fact that nine year old girls, they can have boyfriends, it shows that a girl, even her age, can love, you know, a partner. You understand? You understand my point over here? Don't you hear little girls, young girls talking about boys? I was at a park last summer, and I took my children there and there were these little girls I think seven maybe eight they were just talking about boys just talking about boys and I was I didn't know what to do because I thought the bigger kids were a problem you know and I would avoid certain times at the park so that my children don't overhear their conversations now even the little kids even their conversations are dangerous right, so I'm just saying that this is possible it is possible and if we allow it you know outside the bond of marriage without any responsibility and security why shouldn't we permit it with responsibility with security of marriage why not i'm not saying we need to bring this back and children as young as 9 and 10 should be married no this is not what i'm saying at all i'm saying if it happened at the time of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi we should not have a problem with that Somebody raise their hand over there? Yes. Exactly. And, and you see, this is a new concept. You know, for example, teenagers. It's like you're giving people a buffer between childhood and adulthood, right? That you're in, in no man's land. You're neither a child nor are you an adult. So both the parties, you don't belong to us, you don't belong to us. And what do we do? Who are we? you know what i mean and then they just never grow up because they're never treated as grown ups they're never given responsibility and that is unfair right so we have to you know keep in mind all of these things and i think the most important thing we need to remember is if they were happily married we don't need to go rescue them seriously if they were fine with it who are we to question and object and have a problem with their marriage right up until so recently Even maybe your grandmother, your great grandmother, maybe your mother, she got married at a very young age. Right? 15, 16 maybe, 14 maybe. Right? This is a norm in many societies. It's not considered a problem. As long as there is consent, there should be no abuse. Definitely something that needs to be remembered. You know, even in the Jewish law, okay, the minimal age, the minimum age for marriage for boys is 13. And for girls is 12. This is minimum age for consummation of marriage, by the way. Okay? And the kiddushin, I I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, which is nikah basically, this can take place before that. And the minimum age of that for girls is 6. This is according to Talmudic law. Alright? So this is something that happened. That doesn't mean we need to make it happen today. But it's something that has its place, and we don't need to have a problem with it. Yeah, as you mentioned, our grandparents, they have been married, you know, at a very young age. Like my own Khala, like my mother's eldest sister, she said she was uh, maybe 12 years old when she had her first child. She was 12 years when she had her first child. And uh, same with my husband's uh, eldest Khala, like her mother's elder sister, she has the same thing. They both got married at the age of 12 or 13 or something. And also for as uh, you know, they just raise uh, fingers on Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's marriage. He wasn't the only guy to get married a younger lady at that time. Exactly. He wasn't the only one. The whole Arab has that uh, custom. Exactly. This was something very common at that time. And the reason was that people lived shorter lives. People lived shorter lives because there was no medical care. You know, if somebody even got a fever, that was it. They would die. Many women would lose their lives, you know, in just childbirth. So people lived shorter lives. So for them to delay marriage until they were 20, 25, they're too old then. Yes. Go ahead. Bismillah, as-salamu alaykum. I married in 15. <laughs> MashaAllah. That's why you're so young. MashaAllah. And your children are old enough. And you have such a good, you know, relationship with your children that you can relate with them; they can relate with you. It's fun. Go ahead. As-salamu alaykum. Most critics don't understand their own history. Mm-hmm. If you look at the medieval, which is we're talking about the European history time when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam uh, lived, it's a thousand years ago. Their marriage age was twelve. Exactly. So their context is completely misplaced. Exactly. Yes. Assalamu alaikum. So just expand on sister's point. I'm a history student in... um More specifically, history of religions. And every class that I've taken, the first thing the professors, they mention or they teach us is you can't isolate history and think of it uh, from the point of view, from our perspective. Mm. You have to take history from the context that it's coming from. And the norms that they have are completely different from what we understand as normal today. And there's this saying that I always hear that saying is that What's normal for a spider is a catastrophe for the fly. So Interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. Yeah. Another point about the marriages of young... When you're young, my grandmother, she tells us a story that when she got married, the first question she asked my granddad was um, if he wanted to play dolls <laughs> with her <laughs> on the day of her marriage. Subhanallah. <laughs> okay. Don't misunderstand this conversation. I'm not saying we're not promoting child marriage over here. Okay? Because like we discussed, children are different now. They are different now. Right? They need more time to grow and to mature. And there is definitely a lot of abuse out there in this world. So each person needs to be careful. But like it was mentioned earlier, that you have to understand history in its context. And not criticize it just because we find it strange. Right? It was normal for them. It may not be normal for us. If it was fine for them, good for them. Right? I mean, this is something basic. Okay? This kind of tolerance we should always have. It's something basic. You know, you might like your coffee with cream and sugar. And you see a person who doesn't even take a drop of cream in their coffee. Right, and they don't even have any sugar in their coffee. Black coffee, bitter coffee—that's how they like it. And you cannot understand how could you drink that even. How could you drink that even? Right? You see people eating different foods, and you cannot understand how could you even eat that food. There is a particular kind of a lizard, okay, that was once caught and it was cooked and it was offered to the Prophet ﷺ, and he said no, he refused. He didn't like it. And he was asked, is this haram? And he said, no. He just didn't like it. Right? So what's normal for one person may not be normal for another person of the same family even. Right? Then of course there will be difference between what is normal for us and what was normal for people 1400 years ago. So we shouldn't present their norms as catastrophes today. We shouldn't criticize them for what we find strange. This is injustice. This is really not fair. Okay. So, after making clear about the multiple marriages of the Prophet wasallam, now further concessions are made for Rasulullah wasallam because it's evident that his marriages were for a particular reason. It was not due to personal reason. So Allah ta'ala says, turji You may... Put aside, turji from irja, rajim Wow. and irja is to defer, to delay. Okay? So you may delay, man tashau whomever you will minhunna from them, from who? From your wives. Meaning, you may, you have the allowance to not even have any relation, physical relation, with your wives. Watuwi, tuwi Hamza wawiya Awa yuwi to accommodate, right, to bring close, and this is you know an indirect way of saying that you may have physical relation, ilaika <laughs> to yourself, mantasha, whomever you will. So basically over here the Prophet ﷺ was not obligated to give each wife her share of conjugality. Right? Conjugal relations, marital relations between husband and wife, this is something that comes in the matter of fara'id, of obligations. No, this is why when it comes to marriage, we talk about the rights of the husband, the rights of the wife, the responsibilities of the husband, the responsibilities of the wife. Right? So this makes it clear that the Prophet ﷺ was not obligated to give each wife her share of conjugality. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala made this allowance for him. Why? Because he had a very important role to play. You know, being just between two people is a big issue right nine wives it would be extremely difficult for the prophet sallallahu to be 100% fair with all his wives so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made a concession for him here waman and whoever ibtaghayta you sought mimman from who azalta you kept away you separated fala junah then there is no blame upon you meaning if you were to have relations with The one whom you had previously avoided, meaning if for after a very long time, if the Prophet ﷺ were to return to his wife, then this is something that was also permissible for him. Valika that is, right? Aduna it is closer, meaning it's more suitable instead of divorce. It's better that they stay in marriage with you and. Even if there is no physical relation, still, if they remain in marriage with you, that is better. Why? Because Adana it is closer أَن تَقَرَّ That it would cool their eyes. For them to know that the Prophet ﷺ is their husband, even that is a big deal. And they're happy with that. They'd rather stay married to you than ensure that they get all their rights. وَلَا And they won't grieve. They won't grieve them. وَيَرْضَيْنَ And they would be pleased بِمَا with that which آتَيْتَهُنَّ You gave them كُلُّهُنَّ All of them. Meaning, this would be easier for the wives of the Prophet ﷺ. What would be easier for them? To know that the Prophet ﷺ is not obligated the way an ordinary man is obligated. Alright? Because if let's say a wife of the prophet sallallahu if she didn't see the prophet sallallahu for a long time for instance that never happened but if that was the case then she would know that he's not doing this out of his own will this is because of his work and allah is the one who has given him this allowance wallahu ya'lamu and allah knows ma fi that which is in your hearts wa kana Allahu aliman halima and allah is knowing and he is tolerant so here, the Prophet ﷺ is given the freedom to approach his wives or not, to have relations with them or not, to be just and fair in this regard or not. Allah Subhanahu Taala gave him this choice. And the reason was because he had to marry all these women at the command of Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ, he had an obligation like no other, so his burden was also lightened for him. And remember, the purpose of the marriages of the Prophet was not to fulfill marital needs anyway. It was a part of achieving his mission. Alright? Now when it comes to believers in general, in the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you are not able to be equal to all your wives, even if you try your best. This is an obligation upon men that if a man has more than one wife he must be just and fair right treat them both equally in the same way but allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself says that it's not possible for you to be 100% fair and equal right so since the prophet sallallahu had you know his situation was exceptional allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him greater freedom but what did the prophet sallallahu actually do What did he do? Was he fair to his wives? Yes. So fair to his wives that each wife had her own special time with the Prophet ﷺ. Not once a week. The Prophet ﷺ, he went and saw each one of them every single day. Every single day, he went and saw each one of them. Allah lifted the burden from him. But the Prophet ﷺ was such a noble companion. He was such a dignified man that he did his best to be fair with his wives. Imam Ahmad, he recorded that Aisha رضي الله عنها, she said, the Messenger of Allah ﷺ used to divide his time between his wives fairly. And he treated them equally. Who's saying this? Aisha رضي الله عنها is saying this. She is testifying to his justice, to his fairness. Even though Allah allowed him that you have the permission to not be fair. But still, the Prophet ﷺ, he did his best. What an amazing man. You know, this should make us appreciate the Prophet ﷺ even more. What kind of strength, mental strength, emotional strength he was given that he was able to keep nine wives happy at a time? Miracle. This is really a miracle. He was able to give each one her right. This is a miracle. And we see that end of the life of the Prophet ﷺ when he became increasingly sick, and his sickness was not going away. He asked his wives if he could stay in the house of Aisha ﷺ because what was his routine? What was his routine? He would have to switch, right? But towards the end of his life, he requested, he took their permission, and they all allowed him. They said, yes, until you're better, you stay at Aisha's house. You know, he didn't need to take permission, did he? According to this ayah, did he have to take permission? He didn't, but still he did. Because he was a man who was concerned about the feelings of people. And this is something that we need to remember also. Because many times when it comes to rights and obligations, we say, this is my right you know what? This is this person's responsibility. So, I don't care about their feelings. I'm concerned about my rights. Right? That's fine. You have the right to demand your rights. But, be considerate of the feelings of others also. If the Prophet ﷺ was, we should also be. Allah subhanahu wa Taala says, لَا يحلو. It is not permissible. لَكَ for you. النِّسَاءُ The women. Meaning, after this point, it is not permissible for you to marry any other women. Mimbardu after. Meaning after these nine. No more marriages. Alright? Wala, nor. Meaning it is also not permissible, on that, tabaddala bihinna. Tabaddala. That you take in exchange. Tabaddala. To leave one thing and take another in its place. So you're not even allowed to tabadala that you exchange Bihinna with them, meaning with your current wives, min azwaj of other wives. Meaning you cannot even divorce any of your current wives and then marry somebody else in her place. No, walau a'jabaka even if it impressed you, husnuhunna their beauty. Illa except ma malakati yaminuk that which your right hand possesses, meaning that is permissible. Wakan Allahu And Allah is ever ala kulli Over everything He is an observer. Now what does this ayah show? That the Prophet ﷺ, after these nine wives, no more marriages for him. And it wasn't even about the number nine. Alright? That for other believers it was four and for him it was nine. No. What was it? He had to marry these women in particular. Because he wasn't even allowed to divorce them now. You understand? What this ayah is doing is, it's prohibiting the Prophet ﷺ from divorcing any of his wives. He wasn't allowed to divorce Aisha رضي الله عنها. He wasn't allowed to divorce Zainab رضي الله عنها. Because Allah is saying, you cannot marry anymore, and you cannot even take anyone else in place of these women. So this ayah is further proof of the fact that the Prophet was to marry these particular women for the particular reasons that were involved in their situation, right? It wasn't that his limit was more; it was because of those particular women that he was to marry. It wasn't the number of women; it was the women who were chosen to be his wives. And you see over here what's mentioned that you can't marry anybody else even if their beauty impressed you. Okay? Do we think over here that the Prophet ﷺ, you know, he was impressed by somebody's beauty and he wanted to marry that woman? What this means is that at no cost, for no reason, can you leave your current wives. For no reason. And the Prophet ﷺ did not. When the Prophet ﷺ passed away, he left behind all of these wives, right? They were his wives until his death. And in the hereafter also, they will be his wives. Because they chose him, Allah chose them, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewarded them for their ihsan, for their commitment, and the Prophet also, Allah lightened the burden for him, but he did ihsan also. And in this is a beautiful example for us. That even though some allowances may be there for us, exceptions may be there for us. Our job is to do ihsan to the best of our ability.
1: Let's listen to the recitation. Ya the recitation. وامرأة مؤمنة way that we have been, in the way that we have been in عليهم فيه. أزواجهم وما ملكت إيمانهم لكي لا يكون عليك حرج وكان الله ones who من تشاء, منهن وتؤوي إليك من تشاء. وَمَنِ ابْتَغَيْتَ مِمَّنْ عَزَلْتَ فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْكَ ذَلِكَ أَدَنَا أَن تَقْرَأَ عَيْنُهُنَّ وَلَا يَحْزَنَ وَيَرْضَىٰ بِمَا أَتَيْتَهُنَّ كُلُّهُمْ وَاللَّهُ يَعْلَمُ مَا فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلِيمًا حَلِيمًا لَا يَحِلُّ لَكَ النِّسَاءُ مِن بَعْدُ وَلَا أَن تَتَبَدَّلَ بِهِنَّ مِنْ أَزْوَاجٍ وَلَوْ أَعْجَبَكَ حُسْنُهُنَّ إِلَّا مَا مَلَكَتْ يَمِينُكَ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ رَّقِيبًا سُبْحَانَكَ اللَّهُمْ وَبِحَمْدِكَ أَشْهَدُ أن لا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ
0: أَسْتَغْفِرُكَ وَأَتُوبُ إِلَيْكَ السَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ وَبَرَكَاتُهُ